This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 61, Comic Reviews for the week of March 13th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 61, Comic Reviews for the week of March 13th. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, thanks again for joining us for another uh, episode of uh, Audio Reviews. Uh, before we actually jump into it, though, I wanted to uh, say a little bit of a thank you. Uh, last week, on the at the end of the, the review podcast, I had uh, ruminated a little bit that I was thinking of maybe stopping them at some point because I wasn't sure if there was a lot of people who were really enjoying them or not. Or it was just hard to tell. And sometimes, um, like I had mentioned, that I'm going to be a father soon, so um, in August, and so I was just kind of weighing my options and thinking, you know, if I had to cut one of the shows, I probably would cut out the reviews episodes, partially because, you know, the, yes, they're only maybe about 40, 45 minutes long usually, but the prep time, there's a, I'm usually reading 20 to 25 different comics that can take a lot of time, and I just may not have the same kind of time available, but I really appreciate that there's a, a few listeners who kind of reached out and said, you know, if you do end up doing them, I, pre- I understand why, but I, I want you to know that I do I do appreciate the, the review episodes that you've been doing, and that uh, you know they've given them kind of what they wanted from the they you know they like the rapid fire they like the pellet kind of review style they like that I talk a little bit about spoilers but don't go into too much detail and it kind of gives a sense of the book so that people might want to be, be trying out so I thank you very much for those who have reached out and let me know um, that you have been enjoying the episodes I mean it's uh, really gratifying and that's I mean I do it not just to throw my voice into a vacuum but to hopefully have someone listen to it and, and like what I have to say or even if they don't like what I have to say at least appreciate that you know that I'm giving my opinions on books so thank you very much I really appreciate that uh, so let's just jump right into it and now that I've wasted in a minute of your time um, so this was uh, an interesting week again I put when I whenever I go through all these uh, review episodes basically I take out the list of all the books that came out from DC and Marvel and then I just alphabetize it and it just it feels sometimes like a lot of times actually that when I start with A's that there's so many like sixes and sevens that I usually start off with and then it kind of makes it sometimes harder for me to get kind of get on with the the task of reading all the books because I actually read them usually in the order that I've written them down on my list so instead of necessarily going by what I'm most excited by I'm usually going by its letter its placement in the alphabet and it just seems like recently like the, we haven't had a lot of good books to start the episodes with and when I, when it comes to me reviewing it sometimes you'll be like oh why are the episodes going up so late on Saturday night or why are they coming up on Monday and partially it's because sometimes I just can't get through the books I start off with this middling stack and I'm like ugh what's next and, you know and it kind of takes your momentum away because you're like okay what are we going to review this week what are we what are we looking at what are, what am I reading and then you're like ugh Anyway, so to starting off, uh, one of the big releases for this week was Age of Ultron number two. I didn't much care for it, and I had a, I have a bunch of reasons why. Now the artwork's nice, but as I mentioned, I think on the last time we had a, an issue of Age of Ultron come out, I feel like I'm kind of over Brian Hitch's artwork. Now I love his art; it's very nice. It's very uh, when he has time to really put it together, it looks fantastic. My only issue with that, though. Is that uh, you know I, I he he is to me the ultimate universe. He's this realistic, gritty style, uh, not gritty, but re- very realistic and, and less kind of superheroes and less kind of over the top and much more like real. Um, and this especially goes for the colors. And this is a lot of my problem with this book is that 
I, I, I want to feel a Marvel Universe that seems exciting and, and isn't just trying to be realistic anymore. And for those who are going to listen to the next episode, 62, uh, where uh, Nathan Stark and I talk about Daredevil, and we go, we actually have this discussion on kind of the, these... What, what the last like two decades have been kind of in storytelling, and now you had this this certain era in like two thousand four to two thousand ten, where everything went very stripped down, very um, realistic feeling or darker feeling. Uh, there, there's a, a pervasive sense of realism that they're trying to have in comics. The Ultimates is a big, actually something we didn't even mention at the time, but it's definitely is along that lines as well. Um, so like so, there's a place for Hitch, but I just I miss color in, in the comics, and there's just not a lot of color to be found here. And also, this is a really long setup issue. Again, like it takes this entire issue to basically get Cap America get off his bum and decide we have a plan now. Um, I'm excited to see where this book goes, and I like that again. I, this is what I mentioned the, after the first issue came out was that it was a bit of a Bendis conceit because you jump right into the the, the action's already taken place. You're you're after the big climactic stuff has already happened, and you, you're jumping right in the middle of it. So Bendis throws you off because it's like there's no setup. We're going right into it, but then you have a issue long full of setup in the new kind of uh, timeline. Uh, now here it's the same kind of thing. Like you're in it, but we have so much just not really saying anything. But just a lot of setup. Like we see Spider-Man dealing. First of all, what's up with Spider-Man? He doesn't sound like Doc Ock at all. But that's obviously who it's supposed to be. That's more confusing than it needs to be, but maybe that's what happens when you write your story two years in advance, uh, or a year and a half in advance, whatever. And the art doesn't match up with Superior. I mean, that's a whole other thing, unfortunately. Um, so you have that, and plus even like Peter Parker being like a messy apartment, that's not Doc Ock either. Anyways, I digress. Um, then you also have uh, Moon Knight, and uh, uh, it's just a lot of these just didn't quite work for me, and I wanted to like this more than I did. And I'm hoping that we'll get to the action soon and big things will be happening. But I just feel like so far that hasn't really happened and hopefully it'll happen soon. I give it a 6 out of 10. It's got nice artwork, but the story's not really doing it for me. It's a lot of setup. I got that in the first issue. I was just dismayed enough the first time. I want to see this doing something. You still have eight issues, so you still have a lot of time. Like 80% of the uh, the series still is yet to come. I just hope that we don't get to 60% done before we start getting to the actual meat of the story. Uh, next up is uh, Alpha Big Time number two. You know I like this. Uh, like it's not the greatest book, and I, I think I gave it a seven. I gave it a seven, um, but it's kind of interesting and it's kind of a different spin. Um, I give credit to the writer uh, Fialkov that um, Alpha is a lot less of a, a, a giant, uh, like irritating jerk. Uh, the artwork by Nuno Plotti very different than what I would have expected. It's very kind of indie style, but. It's it's not, it was a pretty fun issue. I think the issue, the artwork's probably why it's not ranked a little bit higher because the artwork's not the strongest at times uh, or the most expressive. But um, I like that Alpha's kind of dealing with like he 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 may or may not until the ending of the issue have killed someone and he's just dealing with this and and uh, yeah it's just really really cool and strong. And then at the end of the issue though something happens and you're like what what does this even mean what the hell. But uh, but for most of the issue, like this guy almost who has all these powers and is so powerful, and he just was punched one guy and he almost killed him, and he's like, "Holy crap! I've screwed up! I screwed this up!" And I really like that. It really grounded the character and made him feel like he's just he's just a regular guy, and he he's a bit of a jerk, yeah. But now he almost killed someone, and it shocks him into real life. And I liked it, so I gave it a seven out of ten. Uh, next up is oh my favorite punching bag, the book that I hate liking. 
uh, Avengers Arena number six. Uh, this is a, such a frustrating book, and I've said it so many times that I can't really say it again without just pissing off people because they're like, "You've already said this so many times. Stop saying it." Uh, Dennis Hopeless wrote this artwork by Kev Walker. First of all, the cover ridiculous. I don't know what the point of that is. Um, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the characters that we're kind of focusing on in this issue. Uh, so you have Kid Breton, a little bit focused on here. You got Bloodstone. Uh, you got Anachronism. Um, the ending is is a bit of a shock, especially because I guess kind of like Kid Britain. Um, you have the characters getting to like the safe zone. Um, kind of interesting as they're all kind of coming closer together. Uh, you have the, the issue of Death Locket. You know what she did previously. Um, it's not a bad issue. It's just not quite the strongest. Again, part of it's because of that you have that ending, but I don't really like the ending either because I don't like what happened to Kid Britain. I actually kind of liked him, and I don't. It just felt needless and a little bit excessively like violent. Just like look what I just did. Um, so I gave it a six and a half out of ten. I think the artwork is pretty good. If the story had just been a little bit stronger, it would have made a seven, maybe a little bit higher. But I don't know. It felt kind of not predictable. That's not the right word at all. It just felt very. I don't know. It was playing into a formula. It was very... It was trying to catch you. It was trying to be more like, Ha-ha, look what we did! Than really giving you a lot of great story. It was more... They are trying to get you on an aha moment that will leave you reeling, as opposed to really making it a strong issue that it might be reeling. And there is a big difference there. Um, so that was 6.5 out of 10. Next up was uh, Avengers Assemble 13. Disappointing. That last issue was a lot stronger than this. Um, you have artwork by Pete Woods and Mark Bagley kind of split up. Uh, it's written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Uh, I don't know. Just, it, it had some really interesting ideas. The idea that Blackwood has spilled so much blood and she's got these certain chits that are out there and she has to make try and make do on some of this stuff. And I really like that. That's such a way of kind of saying that she's done some terrible things, but, um, but she's trying to do a tone in a lot of ways. And because sometimes... We, especially with Mark Bagley and art, like we forget that she's a spy and not just a superhero, but she's a very dark past. And I like that they're kind of confronting that, what that means. But then you also have some really ridiculous stuff with like, I don't know, like basically Saurian creatures. And it just felt very B-movie. Um, so you have like some really strong ideas, not the strongest artwork by either Woods or Bagley that I've ever seen. It's very like very rushed looking uh, not nearly the best to either artist's capabilities. And then you have this really cheesy B-movie like subplot, or not even subplot, but aspect of the plot. So that's what kind of brought it down from being like, yeah, really strong Black Widow stuff is more like an 8, but everything else is like a 5 or a 6. So I ended up giving the issue on the whole a 6 out of 10. And it could have been so much more than this, it just failed to do that. So that that's four issues in a row where we've got 6, 7, 6.5, six and, and 6. So that's pretty awful. <laughs> like we're averaging about six and a half or so, so far. Um, so then, Or just under that. So the next issue is uh, Avenging Spider-Man number 18. A Breath of Fresh Air. So good. I'm, I'm loving this book. Uh, as I've said previously, I think a, a big part of what I'm liking about this is that we don't have um, the narration by... Um, Peter Parker, uh, not narration because he's not narrating Superior, but in Superior we have the ghost of Peter Parker and he's constantly yammering on and talking. And it's important to, but it also feels very like oppressive at times. Like, yeah, we get it. We understand it. Whereas in here, it's just Doc Ock on his own. And I kind of like that more. It makes me think about what Spider-Man would be thinking. It makes me think about what what is Peter Parker's reaction to this? And I like that we don't see it. 
Um, so it's written by uh, Chris Yost uh, with uh, artwork uh, by Chichito. Uh, this is issue number 18. It's uh, I like that we're kind of seeing Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six, effectively. So here we have Electro deciding he wants to take out uh, Thor because of what Thor did to him in the most recent uh, storyline. Um, and he's really upset about it, so he goes to AIM so they can amp him up and make him do something new with his powers so he can kind of mess with them. And then so you also have a bit of a team up with Thor and uh, Spider-Man, and which I really like seeing as well. And um, yeah, you know, just really, really cool stuff. The artwork is spectacular. I like that now he's captured Sandman and Electro. That can't possibly go somewhere good, but I, I like how that's kind of building up there. Um, really cool. I'm interested to see what next issue will be like with Sleepwalker. Um, like that would have been interesting if it was Peter Parker, but it's going to be really interesting when it's um, when it's Doc Ock as Spider Man. Uh, so this no, this is a really good book. I mean, Chris Yost is a different way of telling stories than Dan Slott, but I like the team up aspect, and we're actually because now we're seeing instead of just having Peter Parker teaming up with the same people that he's seen team up with before, now we're seeing Doc Ock's version of Peter Parker uh, team up with people, and that's much more interesting and fascinating to watch, really. And then we also have, uh, you know, he's doing something with the Sinister Six, and I like that too. So I gave this a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batgirl number 18. Uh, this completes, I guess, the two-issue arc that Ray Fox was doing while Gail Simone was fired from the book before she was rehired. Yeah, that sounds just as stupid as it is. Uh, artwork by Daniel St. Pierre. I gave it a 6. Uh, the artwork is very sloppy at times. Uh, this was not the high-grade kind of artwork I'm used to getting from Batgirl. The story wasn't really all there either um it's weird first of all that like commissioner gordon's making the call to uh his daughter to let her know that back that robin's dead and so that felt very shoehorned in didn't feel very natural the whole james gordon stuff like the junior it feels very tacked on it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of thought into how to really make him a villain of any kind and you have firebug and it just felt disjointed and i've really been digging that girl for the most part and uh like I, rec- like, I recently picked up the trade of the first volume. I can't wait for future volumes so I can have them all on my bookshelf and give them to people. I think they're really worth reading. I think they're really fun. I'm not a huge fan of what Gray Fox has done with this book. And I'm glad that Gail Simone will be back and hopefully we can do something more interesting. And this is unfortunate. This was the Requiem issue. Like, we have, like, one page where she finds out about Robin's death and that's it. It just felt very disingenuous. And actually, I, I felt that way for a lot of the books coming out that have been Bat-related because... I don't know, especially because you have Death of the Family, and then you have this weird kind of tacked-on Requiem, but, like, World's Finest, I think it was last week, was a terrible example of an issue. Because out of nowhere, it's like, oh, Robin's dead, let's go to the grave. And it's just like, okay, that's really strong stuff, but why did that happen? It didn't mean anything. Like, well, it meant something to the characters, but at the same time, it didn't need to happen. It just felt so artificial. Um, So I gave that a 6 out of 10. Uh, Batman 18, I gave an 8 out of 10. Now, this, of course, is by Scott Snyder. Now, the artwork here is uh, is not by Greg Capullo. I guess he took an issue off. Uh, instead, you've got um, Andy Kubert doing artwork, and he's got some really nice stuff that he brings in here. Um, it's Now, this is a Harper Rowe story. Now, I have to admit, I feel like I missed an issue. I feel like I missed the issue where it kind of focused on Harper Rowe herself. Um... I just felt that parts of this issue were way too heavy-handed. Um, you have, and and part of this is because it's very it's very easy to see that this is basically the 21st century version of Tim Drake's origin. Tim Drake's original origin was uh, 
Dick, uh, sorry, uh, Jason Todd died, and he saw that Batman was getting angrier and more violent, and he realized that Batman needs Robin, and that was kind of a, a cool concept because usually it was like Batman was taking in these kids and training them to help conquer, you know, grief or something that happened in their lives, or or this was Tim inviting himself in and saying, "You need me. You need someone to ground you. You need someone to give you some lightness in your in your dark world." Um, and you need a partner to shoulder some of that burden, which is a fascinating concept. And this is kind of Harper Roach saying the same thing. And her saying, like, I've noticed something's different. I know that you're dealing with something. And he rails at her, and which feels authentic. You know, that he's, he, he punches her in the face and he breaks her nose. And he's all, like, pissed off. And he's like, he doesn't want to talk. He doesn't, he, he's lost his son. Like, and this is what makes it different, too, is that it's not just, like, uh, you know, he, he's lost a partner. He's lost his actual flesh and blood son. And what does that do to you? You failed your son. And I like the idea that he's like, you know, get away from me. Get a, You know, what are you going to do with my partner? Like, you know, I, well, he doesn't actually say a lot of that. But it's the inference you're, you're getting. And there's a lot of people who are thinking like, okay, Harper Rowe, she's probably going to be either the new Oracle because she's got those kind of computer skills. Or she's going to be the new Robin. And I feel like it's too soon for a new Robin, but who knows? Um, but no, it was interesting. Um, now one thing I did find fascinating is that you have this, the, the second half of the story, chapter two. So chapter one is by Andy Cooper and Scott Snyder. Chapter two is by Scott Snyder and James Tinian the fourth or Tiny on the fourth. And you have Alex Maleevan artwork. And now I didn't even know he was, he was allowed to walk away from uh, Marvel these days. Um, uh, but he's got some pretty interesting stuff. I actually really liked how it felt very different, obviously than the, um, the first story, but. It, it was a nice kind of change of pace. I almost felt like Andy Cooper was too on the ball, too angry, but he, he did a great job, and, and at times it was almost Jumbley-esque uh, for some of Batman's expressions. But I, And, like, the, the pointed nose and the cowl, like, some really good artwork. Um, again, the story was a little heavy-handed, and maybe it didn't need to be as long as it was, uh, but overall, like, it was still a pretty solid story, and I gave it an 8 out of 10. But it paled, absolutely paled in comparison to Batman and Robin 18. Holy crap. This is how you do a Requiem issue. Uh, this is by Peter J. Tomasi with artwork by Pat Gleason. There is no, like, there, I mean, there's some words in here because there's some, there's a, a letter that's read by Bruce uh, that Damien wrote, but this is really, a, like, enough said kind of issue. Uh, this is about the artwork. This is about the artist really telling a story. I mean, obviously, um, it's written by, uh, by Tomasi, and he does a brilliant job, but... I mean, this is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, this we see Batman absolutely a wreck after the loss of Damien, and he—it's so well told. It's so intimate. It's like Batman just like he starts the ser- the uh, issue just sitting there watching the fire with the dog by his legs, and he's just and and then he's just alone. And um, you have like the where Damien would usually sleep right in front of him, and he's just staring at this empty space. And then, like, he's looking at his, his son's notebook and his sketchbook and, like, looking at the things he's been illustrating and stuff. And it just looks so... It, it's so believable. And I guess that it, it's so human. It's just... This is what a father would do. A father loses his child. He'll go to his room. He'll stare at where he's, his son no longer is. He'll look through his things and find meaning where... Like, he, and look at things he that was so private that his son never let him see them. And he, and he sees it and he's just so so uh, caught up in emotion and then having Alfred also like just in absolute tears 
and then having them kind of cover this painting of a family because he can't bear to see the, like his son and then going down the bat pole and looking over and, the, and having the memory of his son with him going down this pole and then and he's just not there anymore he's alone and then going again to the trophy case, like to the, the I guess the, the costume case, and seeing the costume there, and taking the glove and just holding it in his, because he's not there to hold, like, because Damien's not there to put on the glove anymore, and then him just taking off into the night, putting on that cowl, and trying to retreat, and then just seeing this great shot, which was originally the, the cover to the issue, or the original solicitation copy for the cover, of Batman and Robin, and it's very, like, kind of moody but like brighter light as they're swinging through the through the skies and then Batman looks back and he's alone and his son's not with him and then he's just on this uh, he's on like a, a lamppost and he's alone and you know he's in he's in the vehicle and he's remembering his son being in the vehicle and he's, and he's just the face he makes like he just can't handle it and uh, like he even like crashes a little because he's like distracted and then just seeing what he does over the night, and they have this great interlay of like this shadow of Batman and him punching everyone and beating them, and uh, you know, and um, the, uh, sorry, Commissioner Gordon getting a call, and it's like it's really late at night. It's like after midnight, and he sees the bat signal in the, in the sky, and he he goes in, and they have all these thugs that are all on the roof, and this bat signal just aims straight up into the sky because Batman's been there and dropped them all off. And then Batman arrives, and the the dog arrives to. For, for Robin but he's not, Robin's not there Batman goes in the showers and he's just so bloodied and he's empty and he goes out and he goes and he finds a letter that Damien had written for him and uh, because uh, Damien had left and gone against his wishes to go fight Leviathan and Damien so he, and he finds this and, and Batman just rails he's pissed he loses complete control and he's just smashing things and he he throws like the heavy bag and he, he breaks the, the, the costume case and all the costumes everywhere and it's just this haunting uh image of this final image of the book where he's just grappling with the damien costume he's just hugging it in despair um and just sadness it is so effective it's so brilliant uh i think it's the first time i've ever given a book a 10 out of 10 on this podcast um and i've just described the entire issue so if you haven't read this i'm really sorry (laughs) Um, I've just given everything away. It is so masterful. It's Patrick Leeson at his absolute best. Tomasi wisely didn't actually use any real words except for the letter that Batman reads. Um, he just let the story, the, the artwork take over the story. It is so effective. You don't need to hear what Batman's saying. It's all on his face. Like it's so moving, so sad, um, just spectacular. One thing I didn't want to go back for a second. I mentioned about Batman 18 is I really like that cover. You have the empty boots of uh, Damien and you have a Robin on top. Um, they all like they all have all the Requiem covers said something like that, but that was kind of one of my favorites. Although I like the juxtaposition of this amazing uh, Bat, uh, Batman cover on Batman and Robin 18, and then it's the exact same image more or less than uh, than in the interior of the book when he's with Robin, which was the original solicitation copy. But instead of it being bright, now it's darkness, and now it's just Batman alone and Damien's gone. Uh, so good, so good. Um, from that, we, we move on. Now, it can only be a, uh, uh, a downward slope after a 10 out of 10. Uh, we have Deathstroke number 18. Um, I actually enjoyed this. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I really like that cover. Um, it's written by Justin Jordan with artwork by Edgar Salazar. Uh, really fun and enjoyable stuff. You've got some great Deathstroke uh, fighting 
the, this guy I forget who even this guy is but and then this guy ends up like because he's he's killed his father then the the, uh, the clan that he was kind of part of uh, ends up turning uh, turning against him and then it's just awesome Deathstroke fight on the side of a building and then it ends with this guy basically dying and or it looks like he's dead and then uh, it looks like it, uh, the the history and the past of uh, Deathstroke is coming back on him and so he's going to have to hunt this guy down and this guy who's supposedly already a dead man I give it a 7.5 out of 10 pretty solid read I'm surprised every month how much I'm enjoying, enjoying Deathstroke um, but you know sometimes he's Sometimes you enjoy things and you don't expect to enjoy them, and that's part of the fun for me doing this podcast. Is I've read some books that I would like. I don't. I would never really read Deathstroke normally, but for the podcast, I'm like I want to be reading as much as possible, and it's really good. Um, moving on from Deathstroke, we have Fantastic Four number five. Eh, I gave it a seven. I think I gave it a seven actually. Uh, it was very. So I gave it a seven and a half. It had moments where it was really strong. I like that Reed finally came clue to, uh, came clean to Sue. Um, you have the history kind of lesson of uh, the rest of the team. So basically, Reed, um, Johnny and Ben and Val and Franklin, and they're going out and they're kind of they're meeting up with, uh, with Julius Caesar, and they kind of find out that the real Julius Caesar not even around, but this other guy is kind of trying to, he destroyed the timeline a little, so he's been trying to keep it, keep it safe, and, uh, kind of interesting stuff, I'm interested to see where they go with that, because this character is actually still alive in the modern day, and it'll be fascinating to see where that goes, um, I gave it a seven and a half, I don't know where the storyline's going, um, like, I, I guess it's really kind of unfair of me to expect that every issue would feel like we're charting a specific course, but I kind of feel like I want to know where the course is already, and it's kind of affecting my enjoyment of the book a little. It feels a little aimless. Like I like that we're kind of doing this these exploration, but I just feel like there should be a, a grander sense of what they're doing as a family and doing this field trip. And it didn't really feel like we're really getting as much of that as I would have expected, and that kind of was a detriment to me, unfortunately. Um, next up is Green Lantern Corps number eighteen. Oh my god, this needs the storyline needs to end. Uh, I'm really frustrated because we had the I guess the first three chapters of the first The Wrath of the First Lantern. I think it was three chapters. I don't know. This is part six somehow. Um yeah, and we're getting a lot of the same stories. Um I think the first issue of what was it? Well, the the last issue of Green Lantern Corps and the last issue of uh Green Lantern New Guardians were pretty much the same type of issue, and this is the same. It's the first Lantern messing around with timelines and seeing what John Stewart could have been and what he is and what he what he could have been if things had been different, if different choices had been made. I get it. I get what's going on. And first of all, like we can't even just have the focus purely on John Stewart. It also has to be on fatality. So it's kind of cheapens it a little. Like John Stewart doesn't get any love. Um, I just I don't I don't care. Like I feel like I've already read the story twice. I don't need to read it a third time. Um, so I gave it a six. Like, And even the artwork by Crisscross, who I usually like, really like. Uh, this was not his best work in, at all. Like, I really like the cover, but which I don't even think is him. Uh, I just found the artwork itself to be not all that strong or enjoyable. Um, which is a real shame. So like, I just want the storyline to end. I'm actually really excited about some, everyone new working on... Um, on this uh, series because like the entire Green Lantern franchise is going to be revamped with all new creative teams you know what good because this sucks so far like I've read the same issue basically three times I'm glad to have a change 
Um, also, this is, sorry, the cover was by uh, Juan Jose Rip and El Taib. So I my apologies for not uh, saying that earlier. Plus, there's like a, a vision of uh, Fatality being a, a Alpha Lantern. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Because most of the images we see of her are more or less her being Fatality or being a Star Sapphire and not being a Green Lantern. So how does she get to be an Alpha Lantern? But whatever, we're not supposed to ask questions because it's terrible. Uh, I gave it a 6 out of 10. Um, next up is uh, The Manhattan Project's number 10. You know, I'm a huge fan of this book. I've said it many times. I absolutely adore it. This is the first issue I didn't love. Um, it's the subtitles, The Finite Oppenheimers, 1950-1959. Uh, it's written by Jonathan Hickman with artwork by Brown, with uh, colors by Jordi Belair. Um, I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, the colors, first of all, helped the book feel like it used to, but... Um, Part of it's that I wasn't a huge fan of the art. Uh, Nick Patara is a huge part of what makes his book so successful to me. He's got this, this unique yet detailed style, and the artwork didn't quite match that. It was, although it was still quite interesting. But then the storyline also didn't... I, I like this, the science stuff. I, and this was a lot more like uh, Robert Oppenheimer, after he gets devoured by, his, by Joseph Oppenheimer, he's still alive. And his travels inside the subconscious of his brother um, was interesting... But not terribly engaging for me. And I like the idea that there's this Oppenheimer Civil War, and that as he removes the eyes from these different vestiges of his brother, or what his brother could have been, they'll be swayed to his side, which is the light, which is the blue, which is the good guy, whereas the red is the evil, the twisted, the bad. There's some interesting concepts, it just it wasn't quite what I expected, and I didn't find it as enjoyable or as engaging as I had recently. So it's still a good book, and you should still read it, but it's not quite as strong. I gave it a 7. Probably my lowest rating for Manhattan Project's issues so far. Uh, the next up after that is Secret Avengers number 2. Much stronger than issue number 1, actually. Um, issue number 1 was alright, but it was kind of kind of hinging on the on the revelation that what exactly is going on and, and how this is a secret uh, team and how they're going to have the... Uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow on the team. What I really liked about this was I really liked how AIM was being written. I like how AIM has like a its own kind of sovereign nation. I like how they have like all their own ministers now, which is really cool. Uh, I like that we we see Taskmaster again. The Taskmaster kind of having to deal with what happened uh, in the last Secret Avengers run and how he kind of turned on on people and people hate him now and there's a price on his head. So that's really interesting and how. Um, He's gonna ha- kind of gonna be having to work for Shield, but not necessarily know it. And he's gonna be uh, added on as a minister for AIM. So I'm really liking how that's going. This is just a lot more fun, a lot more intriguing, a lot more interesting. Um, this was just a, such a um, a more solid start. This if this had been issue one, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, although obviously you needed the baseline of issue one because of the idea of the the wiping mind control. But still, this was a lot more enjoyable than it was. Than I expected it to be, especially. So I gave it an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Suicide Squad number eighteen. The less said, the better. Uh, I gave it a six and a half out of ten. It's not horrible. It just felt very boring. Uh, Adam Glass wrote it with artwork by Henrik Jonsson. Uh, this book has been better in most recent issues. This just felt very generic. Um, there wasn't anything to really differentiate the issue. The, the mission wasn't all that interesting. The the fight sequences weren't all that interesting. I didn't really care much for the characters. Uh, the artwork wasn't the, the strongest either. I'm interested to see how the big kind of climax here works. 
Um, again, it's not terrible. It's it's you know got okay artwork, but it's not at its best, and it's not unreadable either. So I gave it a six and a half out of ten. I apologize if I'm going a little extra fast today. Um, I did I just did a two hour podcast on Daredevil that'll be going coming up in a few days, and I'm reading, I'm re- looking through these issues again, and I'm realizing that a lot of these books this week, there's a lot of sixes and some sevens. There's not that many eights. There's like a, a handful of eights and uh, and one ten, and uh, but a lot of this book was kind of middling, and I, I don't feel all that inclined to really talk about to say that much about them because a lot of these issues didn't have much of an impression on me. Uh, they just kind of happened, and then they were over, and I was glad they were over, which is horrible. But not every book can be a winner, and unfortunately, this is a book of this is a week of a lot of not winners. Uh, speaking of not winners or not winning books, next up is Thunderbolts number six. Um, didn't much care for this. Uh, Thunderbolts has had some issues, obviously. Um, I think the biggest issue is well, both colors and artwork. Um, not a fan of what's been going on here. Uh, Steve Dillon is not the right artist. Um, the story's been not all that alluring or, or captivating either. Uh, last issue ended terribly with the really like stupid Electra Punisher hookup, which made no real sense. Um, I think of Punisher as a very non-sexual creature, which sounds weird, but like he's all about the mission. He's about death. He's about he's about the mission. He's about uh, making sure that no one else ever die, you know, ever uh, basically loses a loved one because of crime. So him being part of like this kind of military op that Red Hulk was putting together, it works to a to a, a certain degree. But uh, after a certain while, it kind of feels like he he doesn't really belong there. That's not his mission. It's and he's if you've read the Greg Rekka Punisher slash Punisher Warzone, the mission is paramount. It's everything. And first of all, how is he even here? He should be like locked up somewhere uh, as of uh, Punisher Wars number five. But like, I don't know, Way isn't really writing him all that correctly. And he's written, I think he's written uh, Electra before and done an okay job, but she's not really feeling like Electra either. So them hooking up it just felt very like, look what we're doing, and not like this makes sense for the characters. Uh, the artwork by Steve Dillon is atrocious. The thin lips, the, the static characters. Um, even the whole idea of having like the leader and everything, like I think this book would be so much more interesting if it wasn't this artist. If you had an artist who, like, if you had Mike Diodato and you had his regular colorist, like giving some deep hues that every moment kind of felt more more majestic and and epic. Like, there's something about his art which is just gorgeous. That is the artist who needs to be on a book like this. When you got Steve Dillon, it doesn't convey any of the action, intrigue, or excitement. And it just dies on the vine. Oh my god. A 6 out of 10 is, is, is charitable. Um, now next up is Uncanny X-Men number 3. Eh, I, I, I gave it a 7 out of 10. It wasn't a bad issue. Um, I'm just not quite feeling this book. Part of it is the Bachalo artwork. It's definitely stronger than some of his stuff because it's not as crazy. But I'm just not a huge fan of it here. It doesn't quite work. Um... And the storyline by Bendis is, is alright. I did like that instead of just having a classic, you know, heroes and, and antagonists meet and they uh, and they fight, here it's much more, they have a they have a, a discussion, they have a talk. And it's the whole idea of, like, you know, how dare you? How dare you come here and try and arrest us and say that we've done something wrong? Um, call me a murderer. Uh, why did I have the Phoenix Force in the first place? Like, who fractured it? Who asked you to fracture the Phoenix Force? that then possessed me and made me do things. 
Um, it's just it's fascinating, and the idea that you know, and I like that first of all that you have um, Scott kind of saying like you know, Carol Danvers, come with us. You should be with us. And so there's just so much good stuff here, and I love that 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 uh, uh, Cyclops is just not afraid, and him confronting Magneto and Magneto being like, you know, who knows if he's if it's a triple double cross or just he's just double crossing Shield and he just wanted them to believe it, and he's actually still believing in Scott's side. Uh, that's a little bit up in the air, but that's interesting. And then him showing up at the at the very end, they show up at the Jean Grey school, and he just says, you know, to me, my X Men. And I'm wondering, like, what does that mean? Like, is he there for the younger kids? Is he, like the younger versions of of himself? Is he there for the students to help them join his school? I mean, his school is not really about saving people. His school is about, like, ostensibly, he's about saving those who are being who are about to be persecuted. But they can go to the Jean Grey school and do the same thing. Uh, I mean that's what that's what Wolverine School is all about. It's about not putting them in harm's way, not having them be part of like this paramilitary force. So it'd be interesting to see how Bendis kind of handles this. I'm interested to see what happens in the next issue. Uh, I gave it a seven out of ten because I wasn't absolutely captivated. I didn't find it was the best issue I've ever read. I didn't think it was like really that good, but it was very. It was still solid, um, which are different things. Next up is Wolverine number one. Did not care for this at all. Um, I think I gave... Let me just double check. I gave this a 6. This is very much a 6 out of 10 book. I enjoyed Savage Wolverine a lot more than this. It just felt like... Like, why is this happening? Um, Paul Cornell writing it. You have Alan Davis and art. And it's some nice Alan Davis art, for sure. But at times, it's like a little sloppy. Or like, everything you can imagine about Alan Davis's art on a bad day. Like, the sloped faces. uh, A little bit too round at times. Like... It's all of that in one, and you. I almost felt like what made this a Wolverine story? What made this a story that could only be told with Wolverine more than anyone else? And I couldn't really. I was hard pressed to kind of figure out who the story couldn't have been written with. Um, so it doesn't really work as much as a, on a Daredevil perspective. Um, he had this weird like um, possessed kid or possessed person, and then I don't know. The artwork was was all right. It wasn't the strongest Alan Davis artwork. Um, but I just, I guess part of it was just, I don't know why this is happening. Why is this book happening? Like, there's no, I didn't get a sense of the identity of the book. Like, Savage Wolverine, for better or for worse, it's very clear, at least in the first arc, Wolverine is in the Savage Land. He's teaming up with Shanna the She-Devil. This is happening now. Okay, good. I know where I stand. With Wolverine, I just kind of feel like, so, uh, why is he here? Why is he being, like, you know, so injured? And then why is he healing from it? And... Like, I know why he's healing, because he's a mutant, but, like, now he's healing, and now he's going after this, and something's going on, but I'm not really sure why, I don't know why this is happening, I don't know why I'm reading this, and that's the way the book makes me feel. Uh, So it's a 6 out of 10. And then next up, and this is the last book we're going to end on, is Wolverine and the X-Men number 26. I'm going to give this a... I was going to give this a... um, Actually, I don't... You know, this is the last one I read. I was going to give this a 7, I'm actually leaning more towards a a 6.5 now. Um problem with this is it's been like what more than a decade now since origin happened and now we're bringing back dog and no one asked for it at all and it's a weird time travel story that suddenly he's in the present now part of this issue is gorgeous and that's the stuff where you have dog kind of recounting his own history and you got to you got all these flashbacks into who he used to be now first of all on the cover he almost looks like a slightly more masculine version of uh of bloodstone 
uh, for fans of that character, Ulysses Bloodstone. But, like, I just don't understand why this issue even happened. Um, I, I, wasn't, I was already not a huge fan of this whole we're going to the Savage Land for learning uh, idea that Jason Aaron was tootling with. And then we got um, the art. The artwork here is by Ramon Perez with, or Perez with uh, Colors by Laura Martin. Uh, the colors by Laura Martin are definitely present in the flashback issues or components, which kind of reminded me of the Jim Lee style from Hush when he was doing flashbacks, because there's a very different color palette and it's, it just feels different, almost like you're reading it on like parchment or like in an old book. And I really like those ideas and how those, that stuff was done. But then you just have Dog kind of showing up in the future and he's attacking Wolverine and he's doing way too well fighting Wolverine and I just I just did not care for it at all. Um, whereas like the flashbacks were a lot stronger because it, you know you don't need this stuff to happen you don't need to see what happens with Dog but it's kind of interesting to get more context um, so I was a little bit torn so I, I think I'm going to end up with a 6.5 you know I'll give it a 7 and I'll give it a 7 mainly on the strength of the flashbacks but this story doesn't need to happen and this book needs to figure out what it wants to be I think it was this quirky, kind of fun darling when it started, and it was like the the other flagship book. It was either the, this or Uncanny. And now you just have so many X-Books. This book really needs to pick up its game. I mean, especially because you have all new X-Men, which is by Bendis and uh, Eminem or uh, Marquez, who are brilliant artists, and it's a really strong storytelling uh, concepts. Uh, you have Uncanny X-Men, which is pretty pretty good, too, with by Bendis and Bachelot. Then you also have the upcoming uh, Brian Wood-written written, um, Olivier Coipel uh, all-female X-Men team, which is the Ejectivist X-Men coming. So you have all these X-Books that are around that you can read, and they all have a clear sense of identity, and they're much more enjoyable than Wolverine X-Men has been. So hopefully this book will pick it up. Otherwise, like I, it just doesn't fit. Uh, so that is all the issues I'm going to be reviewing this week. Uh, there's actually a fairly lengthy list of stuff I didn't get to, and there's all reasons why. Um, this before Watchmen Ozymandias, I fell off this book, so it's not right to read issue 6 with not having read the last few, as it wouldn't be a fair review. Demon Knights, I think I read the first 11 issues, and it was okay, but I didn't really need, feel the need to read more. So again, I haven't been reading it, therefore it's not really fair to just jump in and I mean, at, one, at some point, I hope to read an issue and be like, okay, this is what I feel about it now that I've jumped back in, but I don't have a lot of interest in doing so, so that's why I haven't done it yet. Fearless Defenders number two, didn't much care for issue number one, decided not to give issue two a chance, at least for now. Uh, maybe at some point I'll get caught up. Katana number two, again, the artwork looks all right, but I, I, I looked at the first couple pages and said, you know what, I'm good, no thanks. Uh, Ravagers 10, haven't really read any of it, so I had to stay away. Superboy 18, I was going to read this because finally El, Hell or Hell on Earth is over, but I just, I was going through the first page, I'm like, you know, I'm out. I just don't care for the, the general look of the book. Um, I'm good. Team, team 7, number 6, I feel like I didn't read last issue, but I actually think I did, but it made me feel like I hadn't when I was looking at the first page or two, so I said, you know what, I'm good. I'll, I'll pass, but thanks. Thor God of Thunder, number 6. Apparently I read issue number five. Apparently I did a review episode that I reviewed it on. I don't recall that review at all. Uh, I don't even read, remember doing that issue. So I, I was going to read it, and I was like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I I don't know. Like, I can't even remember the last issue or two. I feel like I haven't read any issues since one to three, even though I know by looking at my previous episodes that I've reviewed the last two episodes, uh, issues, but I don't recall them at all. Kind of tells me that maybe I should walk away. Like, if it's not even, like, making any kind of impression at all, then maybe it's time. 
Uh, after that, uh, another book I didn't look at was Threshold number three, Ultima Comics Wolverine number one, Ultima Comics X Men number twenty four, and Extreme X Men twelve. Um, maybe I should have read X- Extreme X Men because I think it's part of the Extermination storyline, but I just don't care much f- to read it. Uh, to be honest, like I'm not all that interested in that storyline. Um, so that was everything I didn't look at. So thanks again for joining us. This has been episode sixty one of Comic Shenanigans, comic reviews for the week of uh, Wednesday. Uh, March 13th. Uh, now, big news. Uh, we now have an app for iPhones and iPods. Uh, on on the browser, you can, you can go to uh, comicshenanigans.podbean.com uh, forward slash mobile. Um, and you can access... Uh, it'll bring you to a screen and it'll allow you to add it to your applications. And then you'll have the Comic Shenanigans app on your iPhone or iPod. Uh, we're working on getting it uploaded to the Android store... Um, there's just a few more things I have to get sorted out. I am not by any means a web developer. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I apologize. It's taking a little bit longer to get that done. I thought that that would have been done sooner than the iPod, uh, slash iPhone, but that ended up being done earlier just by kind of happenstance. Uh, you can always email me at, uh, comic shenanigans at gmail.com. You can also, uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, you can, I'm always open to people uh, uh, putting posts. I usually list every episode on HC Realms. I put a new post and I put new episodes there. Uh, if you want to give that a shot, you could always, uh, you know, write me there. I usually uh, monitor those threads and if anyone says anything, I like to respond to whatever comments or suggestions they might put. Um, my my username there is SDMClicks, um, but my name is obviously Adam Chapman and that's no, no, uh, no um, secret since I run this podcast. So thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate everyone who listens to the review podcast. Um, I really do enjoy doing them, and hopefully, time permitting, I'll be able to continue doing them. If for nothing else, it'll screw up my numbering. I don't know if you've noticed, but the odd episodes are always the review episodes, and they go up on Sundays or Mondays, and the even episodes always go up on Wednesdays, usually at like right after midnight, Tuesday night, slash uh, Wednesday morning, and those uh, are usually the even episodes. So if nothing else, I want to maintain my numbering. But uh, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate you listening to the uh, episode, and we'll be sure to see you next time. As I said before, the next episode, uh, episode 62, will be uh, myself and my frequent co-host, Nathan Strzok, who I think has been in 26 episodes now, so he's been in a fair bit. Um, And he'll be uh, discussing with me our our, uh, favorite Daredevil storylines as we run down our top tens and uh it's actually pretty fun and enjoyable conversation as i said i just had that i just recorded that podcast about an hour ago so uh i hope you enjoy that and i'll be up on uh i guess wednesday the 20th so thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye